0: What's going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff?
1: I have to say, I can't believe that with all the technology, everybody's on Zoom, everybody's on FaceTime, they still haven't figured out how to allow us to sing songs together on FaceTime or to even talk simultaneously.
0: It's absurd. Yeah, they're really like, you know what? Isn't this amazing? Enough. No, they're like we've we've accomplished it just enough that you will be able to see each other, and if you speak at the same time, not hear what each other says.
1: <laughs> I'm like, please let us sing a song together.
0: <laughs> it's, I know it's really your it's really your dream.
1: In the e- in the evenings, um, Tim Miller, our friend Tim Miller Yoga, does. Uh, he sings an om chanty kind of thing on his Instagram live, so you can turn on his Instagram live and sing with him around dinner time, like seven eight ish, which is nice. That's so nice. So I've taken to being like, oh.
0: <laughs>
1: in the evenings.
0: Wow. And when that happens, can you hear everyone else singing?
1: Not at all. No, you just hear yourself and Tim.
0: But when you and Tim are singing yeah. at the same time, is it still like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh 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 uh
1: No, because it's just like watching a movie of Tim. Do you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't hear me. I just hear him. Because it's Instagram Live.
0: Ah. Oh, right. I see. I see. So you haven't joined. You're not, you didn't put the join this call on Instagram. Where then, like, your little face would show up too.
1: No, no, no. So, you clearly, you have you? No, you haven't been doing Insta Live dance
0: classes, have you? <laughs> nope. I have not been doing the Insta Live dance classes. Not yet. It might come to that one day. Yeah. I, it feels more like I would need to be like, I'm going to do an Insta Live drama class. I would take it. Maybe I should start doing Insta Live drama classes where I. <laughs> You know, last night I did an insta. I did a a, a dramatic monologue. But you, that's generally how it goes. There's a lot of dramatic monologues happening alone.
1: But you know what that means, Jack? It means that you would be teaching a class to nobody because you would be getting no response. You would just be teaching into your phone.
0: That's fine. That's
1: absolutely fine. You you seem fine with it. I'm a Cunningham Live, Jen Goggins devotee now, it seems. I take it every day at one. I know you really do.
0: You take it and then you've also filmed yourself so you can show us how excellent it's going for you.
1: Oh, I am literally incredible. It's amazing. My floors are so slanted. By the time I get out of this, I'm going to have a whole different sense of equilibrium,
0: you know? It's, it's really amazing. I will say, though, you know, to like kind of circle back to Shen Wei, you have had to like slide, roll, down, turn on like, you know, 45 degree angle pieces of uh, <laughs> uh, fabric, you know, it's whatever true. canvas. It's true. So I feel you're actually pretty. I know that you yourself don't feel like you're very stable, but I, I feel you're actually well,
1: if you watch Jen Goggins at 1 p.m., just watch her as a movie doing teaching Cunningham class, then you'll see some stability. She's like a, like a perfect little doll that's like doweled into the ground. She's so stable. It's amazing. Even when her child runs in and says like, lunchtime or like, I'm going to blow this whistle, you know, and then she has to sort of carry him out. And yet somehow she comes back and she's still where she's meant to be in the combination it's incredible
0: wow she's amazing yeah
1: she better work friend of the pod and goggins listen to her episode really
0: she's really good yeah um have you
1: watched anything yes i watched episode two of my brilliant friend last night of the second season oh oh i need to i need to do that I really like it. It's really pleasant to look at, like, the clothes, the colors. They're, yeah. they're dressing Lena in, in these, like, greens and blues for her eyes that are just incredible. Like, the color of Jeremy's sweatshirt is the color that they keep putting her in. And and there's, like, the way that all the clothes are just slightly imperfect because they've been made by, like, the local tailor or whatever, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Take note when you see Leela in the second episode and she's mad at, at Lena and she's wearing this blouse that has these concentric circle uh, flanges on the neckline that are like, you'll see, you'll understand what I'm saying. Like the collar is made of these two circular strips and the one that's further down just has a slight bump in the edge of it. And you're like, yeah, that's correct. That would be how that would be. Oh,
0: I love, I mean, the detail, the detail. I love that you're, of course, catching it all. I'm looking forward to watching that. I haven't watched anything. Jeremy put on that pottery show and we tried to watch that. And I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I just have to like. Oh,
1: I loved it. Got right through that. I just got right to the
0: end of it. No problem. Wow. I did see the one episode where they made mugs with these handles. I think it was one of the early ones. Yeah. And um, it was it was a mess.
1: Yeah. Well, the pulling of the handles is obscene. I've I've I had no idea that's how you pulled a mug handle as if you were like jerking off
0: a, a whale or something. You know, it's so crazy. <laughs> jerking off a whale. A small whale. A beluga. Yeah, yeah. There's many phrases that have come up that are really great. T shirt ones. I mean jerking off a, a whale is Random, I would say, but other t-shirts that could be made for this time would be, I read an article. (laughs) That one I think is really good. I think a t-shirt that says. I read an article. I read an article. (laughs) Um, Only five left. Bye soon. Oh,
1: can I, can I comment on only five? I mean, who would have known that everyone in America. Would decide to become a professional baker during this time because you know what you cannot get flour and yeast wow you can't find them they're not on the store shelves it's insane
0: what about online
1: well i went on the like grocery delivery services and if you go to king arthur flour direct it's like they're on back order
0: uh-huh. for like bread flour and stuff so good luck wow so, and read as you're following these baking stories, how are you feeling about how people are doing?
1: I'm I'm not following any baking stories. I, I wanted to actually make bagels in my house and
0: I wasn't able to because I couldn't get bread flour. Or yeast. You can't get yeast. Well, then I guess, I, get, I guess it's just, you know, it's, you're going to have to just Instacart those bagels in, honey.
1: Yeah, well, I went to Whole Foods yesterday and waited in line for half an hour to get in the front door. And we're talking the Whole Foods on um, Houston Street, which is usually like no one's there. And I guess there is nobody there because they only allow 50 people in at a time. But it was tedious, to say the least. Right. You get in there, you think, well, there's going to be lots of food because they're only allowing a few people at a time. But there's there's things missing, I'd, I'd say. There's lots of fresh food. Yeah. And then there's no dry food. Right. And they've completely, right. they've emptied all the bulk bins and the prepared food. You can't have that anymore because no, that people people touch it. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. Wait, there was something else I wanted to tell you. There's a few things that I've noticed during this time. Um, oh, I've, I've discovered that my toilet seat bidet, which I really feel you should get. I feel it will change your life.
0: Well, also talk about like now you never have to buy toilet paper.
1: Well, that and also like if you relax into it, it's an anal douche.
0: Yes. Well, which I wouldn't go which that Which I far didn't read. know. Like, I would it not can literally, trust it a bidet. It can like, you wouldn't? I would not trust a bidet as like I did my like full bottom duty check.
1: But it, um, it has this like. I think
0: you need to get up there a little more than just like a, the kind of like three quarters of an inch.
1: No, but mine has this kind of get, like... get it
0: for you if you really...
1: Jack, listen really to me. Listen. listen to
0: relax. Okay, listen go to for me. it. It mine... has a hose. It has a detachable hose.
1: <laughs> no. Mine has this You like, have a... No, you have a to, small
0: anal hose. You
1: have to listen to me now.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay, no, I'll
1: listen. Mine has enough pressure that it like can sort of fill your rectum a little and then your rectum empties out. And I know that my rectum is different than other people. So I'm not sure if I'm telling the truth, but I'm going to have you try it at my house and you can tell me, you can tell me.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Well, also there's another t-shirt for everyone. My rectum is different than others. Yeah. Um. And, and yet we all have one We we really, we need to get back into the we-ness. We're far, we're far too into the I-ness. Yes. Um. Yes. Um, what I've, else did you have to tell me, read?
1: Oh, I had been writing down notes in my notebook throughout the week because you know I forget everything. So, uh-huh. one of the things I wrote down was, um, well, I wrote, "My bidet is an anal douche." That was one of my notes. <laughs> 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 and, then oh, wrote, oh. and then I wrote, and then I wrote, "I've been so happy about these Insta Live Cunningham classes because you can." Or yoga. I've done some yoga things because you can freely fart loudly in class now, and no one has. And it like your body feels freer. It's better. It's better this way. And then my last note I had was that Leela looks like she's a middle schooler doing a play of my brilliant friend in the show because of the wigs they're putting on her and the outfits. Everything looks a little bit oversized.
0: Um. Yeah.
1: Anyways, that's all my. Those are all my notes for the week.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, it's, well, I am going, I am definitely going to tune in to see the second episode of My Brilliant Friend. I have not been able to watch anything. I've been able to read things, but it's mainly FaceTime calls. It's mainly, I'm reminded of oh. how much Marilyn Monroe loved the phone and uh, I love the phone too. I've always been a phone queen. I'm not a real, yeah. I don't love texting And, um, even if someone starts DMing me like too much on Instagram, I just flip it to a phone call on Instagram then. And they're like, you're calling and I'm like, I don't, we don't need to keep texting this. I don't need you to keep sending me gifts, gifs. Oh, I do have to weigh in on something. Okay. And then we're going to bring in our guest because we have a special request from, um, Dan Van Note and, um, which is Dan has asked that I weigh in on Madonna's rose petal bath oh, um, in no, which she no, no. holds on to the handles of the tub while talking about the way in which Corona is the great equalizer Ugh. and there's so many rose petals in it and she's like has her knees to her chest and is holding on to the handles of the tub the hashtags were strange because one hashtag was be creative and one hashtag was Brian Eno. <laughs> and I didn't understand Brian Eno in this context. But maybe she, maybe he said a song called The Great Equalizer or something. Someone can let me know. If you've ever heard this podcast, you know that I don't like listening to men sing. Yeah. I don't really like watching them act or... Um, it's, uh, <sighs> yeah, yeah, any of that. So I only listen to women, so I don't know what Brian, uh, you know, is. Um, but Madonna's monologue is really incredible. I do think it is of the times. I think it's really, she has some really choice phrases of how, um, how it's equalizing everyone. But I have to say that I was more impressed by her singing, Come On Go. Let's go eat some fried fish. Fried fish. And she changed Vogue into that they needed to go eat some fried fish because they were out of pasta in her house. And you can see in the mirror behind her someone holding this huge lighting rig so that she's like <laughs> blown out. And um she at one point goes, Come on, Vogue. I mean, go. Let's go eat some fried fish. And she kind of stumbles a little bit on the floor and she stands there in her bathroom with a a uh, hand brush. Both that I have to say, both that and the um, bathtub video were uh, prescient. Well, when
1: you sent me that bathtub video, I've I've never found her more tedious than in that moment because not only is she completely out of her mind in calling Corona the ultimate equalizer, both for both good and bad, <laughs> but also like she. Bad things have happened to Madonna's face in a way that is unbelievable now. Like the swollenness of her, what even on earth has
0: happened? I don't, I don't know, but I, I do. I still, as I've said to people before, I would like MDMA skincare and, um, or whatever, M D N A.
1: That is not what she is she's not using that stuff. It she has a doctor on call <sighs> in her house. That
0: is a dream.
1: Oh my god. Uh, okay, know. can we Anyhow, let's stop right, talking now,
0: about hideous Madonna. Let's stop talking about one woman who I love whose name begins with M. And we're gonna move over to another woman I love whose name begins with M. Mariah Evans. Mariah, hello, Mariah.
2: Hey, guys.
0: Hi, Mariah. Are you recording? Is it working?
2: I think so. I did a test, so I'm okay. on my phone, and then I have GarageBand. Correct, great. Like, Garage. Okay.
0: GarageBand is recording you.
2: Yeah, I, I think it works well, actually. Okay, great. Okay, great.
0: Yeah, you're gonna you'll like send it to Jeremy, and then Jeremy will put it into. Whatever, he, something. He whatever he does, and he will <laughs> um, make it work. Wait, he'll, but he'll <laughs> layer these voice recordings on.
2: Who is this famous Jeremy? He's like he- my partner. Oh,
0: he's who did this. I don't think you saw it, but he did this set for everything is imaginable, and he has done all of our videos. He did.
2: Those are good videos.
0: Most- and he did the most recent in-the-closet video with me. Like, he's a director, a visual artist. I mean, he's the director, producer. He comes from a visual art background. Okay, because, so.
2: yeah, multi-talented. I was wondering about your videos. I was like, what kind of funding did they get <laughs> For these amazing Do you, videos. <laughs>
0: Do you know what kind of funding we got, Mariah? Zero dollars. <laughs> except for like our yeah. people on Patreon, who I want to fully, again, thank you people on Patreon. But this is really, I mean, dance and Stuff is reads in my long form art project. So it is really this thing. But we also got, <clears throat> we got some support from LMCC. We got space. And we got they free gave
2: space. us space. That's crucial. Free
0: space in New York City is worth $10,000 a day. So, you know.
2: Well, 10000 I
0: mean. Sense. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Mariah, you look amazing, by the way.
2: Oh, well, g- glad, but I don't know how that. You, too. Maybe, you re- maybe, really maybe, do. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not running around and like. Mariah, will you
1: describe for us your situation, where you are, how it's going, et cetera.
2: Okay, so I have a bit of um, guilt, but because my doctor friends were critical of this decision I I did leave the city um, and with my sister and we went to like an a isolated family farmhouse in Ohio um with my sister and my partner David or boyfriend I don't Lover. know I heard to call him <laughs> Um, okay, sure. Love her. With my, Um,
0: I grabbed, I grabbed my sister and my lover, David, and we went to a secluded farmhouse.
2: And three cats.
0: And three cats named Bojangles.
2: Hajime, Hajime.
0: Oh, Hajime's amazing. uh, Really?
2: Stanley and Noodle. (laughs) Yeah. And Hajime used to be the cat of Jamar Roberts. (gasps) because jamar and i used you stole jamar's cat no no jamar gave up his cat because he's traveling too much and and we jamar and i were roommates for a a long time like five years and then jamar moves um uh to washington heights like less than a year ago right and he kept hajime stayed in the apartment so that's amazing yeah we kind of share the cat but what is this
0: secluded farmhouse like
2: it's nice it's like um family like my family owns it or whatever and (laughs) we're in a rural area (laughs) or whatever called new carlisle ohio
1: oh i saw that you had beautiful um, beams up on the ceiling wooden beams
2: yeah, it's pretty. That's nice.
1: Wow. Yeah. Um, it, That's it's good. very
2: nice here and it's spacious. And like we're doing the self-quarantine thing for 14 days. Like when yep. we drove, we didn't touch anything. We um, bleached the gas pump Yeah. after we got gas. Like we were super conscientious. Yeah. But I guess we're assuming even though like no one has signs of being sick, we're assuming we're carrying the virus kind of in terms of going to another area. And so we're like quarant- quarantining here and all that. So it's just getting more space. And so everybody it's it's a large house. So everybody has like their own bedroom and their own office kind of because there's a lot of rooms. Um, wow. And
0: I honestly, and I mean, there's an really- amazing,
2: beautiful kitchen, and like the land is flat and it stretches <coughs> for a long time, and the sunsets are beautiful, and it's like, yeah, nice, peaceful, serene horizon lines. But like leaving New York was like kind of emotional and hard for me, actually, and felt weird. And I had a bunch of doctor friends who gave me, um, they were like, yeah, very strict with me. Why?
1: They were very what was, strict what, or they were throwing the, shade?
2: What were the doctors' Drawing shade. What was their just, What was their Just argument? that, like, the shelter in place, like, is serious and we should not go anywhere.
1: Uh-huh. No
2: one should go anywhere. And leaving New York, which is an epicenter now, and going to an area that is not, is a public health risk. Right. And I mean, there's also another argument to be like, well, we're getting out of the area. So we're less of a problem. I mean, I have not seen anyone at all other than the people I'm quarantined with. In the time I've been here and in New York, I was like, you know, going to, I still went to, I had to go to the grocery store. I was walking right. around Brooklyn and I was right. passing people all the time, even trying to, keep six feet distance in New York city. That's literally like kind of impossible. It's impossible. It impossible. Um, so like in terms of the daily errand or the one daily errand you're like allowed to make, it is, it is quite difficult actually to like every, I mean to, to rigorously follow the six feet thing is hard.
0: Yeah. Um. I also but think I'm, there's I'm
2: something happy about, about I a,
0: a friend of mine. It's like a mini knew- residency. <laughs> a friend of mine who started to freak out about this around the same time I started, which was early Feb, she uh, as well left and went to Vermont and did a full, like 14 day quarantine as well. Like, didn't see anyone, stayed inside the whole time. And part of her reasoning was she was like, I don't want to be another body in a city that's going to be overwhelmed with people needing help. Right. And so if, I can go somewhere where, like, my virtual doctor appointment, (laughs) which is what they're all going to be now anyway, unless you are, like, can't breathe, um, uh, cannot take up space, if anything, and not take up the same amount of space if anything starts to happen. I mean, this thing with, like, the Javits Center is now a hospital, and, like, even listening to Cuomo being, like, um, I'm sorry, my friend um, Corey Johnson city council person, Corey Johnson, he was like, this Navy ship of a thousand thousand beds is not enough. Like, it's not, it's not enough. Yeah, and it is surreal. I mean, I think especially for anyone who's already, who already on the daily feels a little liminal. It's um, a real kind of, okay, I'm going to make this food. I'm going to clean this faucet. I'm going to call these people. I'm going to cry. When I need to cry, I'm going to stare at a wall. I'm going to stare at a wall, and hopefully I do something for my body. Reed, I feel you have really taken the lead of, like, <clears throat> doing things for the body. I My my daily regimen is, um like, folding over my legs once and uh, popping my sacrum at some point.
1: Well, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs>
0: I've been doing, like,
1: one hour of physical activity a day and, like, hopefully a walk, but also... The other time I'm literally like full Charlie, Charlie from Willy Wonka's grandparents, like under the covers knitting. So like I have like a rib out from knitting right now. So I need to do something. But let me tell you what, I'm gonna have a beautiful d- dicky when all is said and done. Um I I don't okay, know. Fine. I have um I'm gonna make a suggestion just for the first like half hour of this pod, which is that like we don't talk about Corona for a little while. And we, we let Mariah kind of tell us about who she is and why we're talking to her. And then we can obviously get back to Corona because what else is there even to think about?
0: Abs, okay. Abs, absolutely. So Mariah, the
1: question is, the question is, will you give us a little bit of background on like where you're from, what your dance
2: experiences and then what you do now? Sure. Um... Like, where I was born. Well, I was actually, you know, because is biography the best way to understand each other or to cope with the questions of the we versus the I and the collective problem or the imaginary (laughs) of the moment? You know, these are serious predicaments. But since that is the predominant mode through which, like, we tell stories currently about ourselves and that... Yeah, well, recently I've been into this thing of, like, there is no solo, and even if you're making a solo, especially in dance performance practice, it's always inherently relational. The act of performance is relational. Um, So, yeah, I just think, like, practicing some kind of habits of how to think through that framework is always important. But I was born in actually the same town that I'm in right now, which is New Carlisle, Ohio, um, which is close to Dayton. But when I was quite young, like two years old, we moved to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I grew up doing ballet and I went, I trained, I was in a professional training program at Ballet Met Dance Academy and like the, where Reed danced actually, so... (laughs) Ooh, ooh, yes. It's weird. Mariah, did we? How did I not know? Did we overlap? I think that. Well, I was the. Um, I went to college because my parents were like, "You can't be a dumb dancer." Basically, okay. <laughs> Sorry, they didn't use those words, but like, they were of the opinion that you must receive a college education and that going from like conservatory training in ballet straight into like a professional ballet company was i don't know they were very critical of the power relations in dance um you know like if you go to ballet conservatory there's a lot of issues about control over the body and like i don't know my parents were critical of that and they were like you have to be properly educated. But I was kind of extreme and I didn't want to go, to, I didn't try to go to Juilliard or like an art school. I just was like, well, if I'm not gonna dance in this certain way at this certain level, then like I'm just quitting. So I think like I went to Wellesley College and I uh-huh. studied art history um, and English literature. And then, and I didn't dance at all in college. Um, and did you when and, you were about, and then, then you... so but basically I think when you joined the company, I was it was my first year in college or something like that.
1: Uh huh. So did you do your? When were
2: you there? I danced in the company
1: from 2001 to 2004, and does that mean that you did your professional training with Yoko Ichino?
2: Yeah, I was in Yoko's pre-pro group. <laughs> And I was like that the first is cohort. so of
1: it. intense, and I don't know if I've talked. Yes. Wow.
2: Oh, I, yes. So,
1: so you know, like Lee Allardyce oh, yes. and Christian. Except for Ruhl I wait, I'm, a little, people, Bioti, you, you okay, I'm like a little older than Megan Biote by two years. Can you describe a little bit so like went, some of the methods? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, will you describe describe? Sorry, we have a little bit of a delay, so this is kind of crazy, but. Will you describe a little bit? Because I don't think I've talked about this a lot with our listeners, but it's pretty wild. And I I always attribute like my my sort of longevity and not being injured as a dancer to Yoko because of her teachings. But if you as one of her like what were some of the methods that were employed in your like very aggressive training with her?
2: Well, I mean, I guess it's just important to give a little bit of context um, for like. The two years that I was in the pre-pro program, before that, we were trained by, like, Francia Culture and George and Violetta Boft, like, were, who were from the Bolshoi, and Francia was from ABT. She had danced at ABT, and it was, like, pretty much, um, like, you know, like, conventional ballet training, like, good, but, like, and also we always had all the OSU, the Ohio State University modern teachers also trained us. So it was like very like well-rounded program, I would say, Um, because we did like all dance forms. And we trained like four hours a day um, every day. So I would leave school early. So then when Yoko, when David Nixon took over the company and Yoko Achino took over the pre-pro program, it was like a completely, it was like restarting everything. It was like, I think the first six months we did not like leave the bar. For four hours a day. Yeah. Um, We did the, like, it was very somatic. Um, like, yeah. I think one of the, f- I mean, of course we did, like, the mitzvahs, you know, like, the, like, sit down on the chair, like, <laughs> roll through the spine, roll back up <laughs> through the spine, slide down the wall, make sure, like, your hip ac- joint action was, like, functioning properly and naturally, rethinking like the alignment of like how your feet work like the the relationship between the like skeleton and like the muscles and the nerves um i mean all sorts of really specific like somatic exercises um and we also at that point started like for a while we weren't like wearing ballet shoes at all (laughs) Mm-hmm. and then at a certain moment we were like only wearing de-shanked point shoes right as like a way to um strengthen the feet like arm like always like this you know yeah. like for a long time like no quarter bra allowed or like this yeah shoulder, up. or like yeah and then like a whole new formulation of how to do an arabesque with like the yep. scoop concept. Scoopy scoop. Scoopy, scoop. Like scoopy p- scoop around. Scoopy scoop to get like <laughs> the leg up. Like rather than like a whack or like an arch. It was like a whole other um event in yeah. a sense. Scratch scratch and then like scratchy a long- scoopy scoop. <laughs> A long time of, like, doing those. I'm not just going to stand – I mean, I'm not really wearing the right clothes. But, no, I'm, I can't do it, actually. I'm wearing, like, a dress, so it's not going to happen. But, you know, like, the <laughs> instead of doing passe or retiré with, like, the foot connected to the leg, it was more just, like, yeah, a just bent just up there. Side. That's right. Side. With, like, yeah, a flexed foot. Out to this – yeah, with a flexed foot. Yeah. Uh, for a long time um, – then we did like all we did that thing like we had this one exercise like after you know like six months, this exercise called like reality. Oh, which was, did you ever I, do that? i well, which was like. <laughs>
0: Reid's gonna do Passé so reality right now. Front. But Reed, as you do it,
2: re- I watch you. I watch
1: passe side, <laughs> passe back. Embarrassing. You know what I mean? It's so crazy.
2: Yeah, and like you basically, there was like no cheating on the turnout and right you know, it was like it was a I mean in, in many ways it was like quite radical
0: so so just for the listen, just for the listeners who don't know reality or who didn't who aren't watching this video can one of you please describe reality in terms of this technique and this is coming from
1: so reality is who, where
0: teacher was doing this please
2: Yoko Achino
1: yeah she had been a, a principal at the National Valley of Canada she'd been a soloist to ABT and then like yes somewhere in there oops my earphones just died i'm gonna come right
2: can you still hear me oh my god i just I can Googled hear you her, i can hear which you is, i've never done by the way
1: i'm gonna tell the whole yoko ichino story when we come back because I- oh
2: my god you guys should interview her
1: that would be literally incredible she's so crazy
2: <laughs> i mean she's definitely a unique lady
0: Okay, highly. Welcome. Hi, oh, oh,
1: welcome. Hi, we're here. It's okay, Reed so, and Jack.
0: Yeah, you need to go to iTunes. Have you heard
1: of iTunes?
0: Go there. It's and we need a. you to um, rate what would you
1: call it? comment. It's a storage thing for music and sound. <laughs> you're gonna go to iTunes and you're going to go to dance and stuff Podcast.
0: And rate and comment.
1: And you also have to subscribe, absolutely. And subscribe.
0: And because the more comments we get, the more listeners we get, and then the more people you can talk about this podcast with.
1: Uh oh. Also, also,
0: don't forget that we are still on YouTube. We have a bunch of videos we made go check them out. And not only also, made, you can also watch videos we like. Yeah, that's true. You can also watch videos that we like. Also, uh, we have a Patreon. Please consider supporting us. And, um, because and I would say, here's, here's my recommendation, knowing the demographic of our supporters, uh-huh.
1: cap it off at five. Don't think that you need to give us any more than $5 because if all of you gave us $5, we would build the Dance and Stuff Center for Podcast Education Upstate. Tea, honey, tea. this is basically our Kickstarter, like Marina Abramovic. Except we'll follow through. Thank yous. I'm back. Okay. But she's a genius. And she was like a, she is like a uh, training somatics ballet guru. And I think her... Her background was sort of steeped in Chiquetti and um, reality was a combination you would do from time to time where you would face profile to the mirror in parallel and then you pick up your, your downstage foot into parallel passe and then you would turn it out to like whatever your maximum turnout was. And then you would develop pay front, which for most of us would be sort of like to the corner. And then you'd start again and you'd pick up your foot parallel and you'd turn out and you'd double pay side. And then you do it the third time, you'd pick it up, turn it out and double pay back. And I guess ideally you would be like totally front to the mirror if you had perfect turnout. But what reality revealed to you is that you in fact, this is the reality of your turnout And people don't actually have completely flat turnout unless they're like circus mutants. So it was just a good way of like facing the reality of your pelvis. Would you say that's
2: true, Mariah? Yes. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it was like she developed all these exercises or ways of anatomically rethinking ballet positions. So that like one somatic awareness in relationship to a ballet position was like, forever altered maybe i mean no really because it was super hardcore in terms of its notions of like neuromuscular repatterning and and i mean what what's radical about it is like they came like she came in and we were like all like little trinas basically you know trying to do like five pirouettes and like fuetes and like you know i mean all these things, and it was like, no, you're not going to move across the floor for six months. Like we're gonna start yeah. on the, we're gonna start lying on the ground, and then we're gonna like, then we're gonna move to a stool, and then okay, now we're gonna like retrain how your feet work and how you think about your pinky toe in relationship to turnout, and actually, we're gonna teach you how to point your foot differently, like these ideas of like yeah. stretching the arch and like making the instep all cray, like that's over. Like you have to elongate from your sits bone to your heel and not collapse in your Achilles tendon. And you need to think like length through the foot and don't wrap your toes anymore. Like extend your toes out in a, almost like a straight line. Um, and make sure yeah. all five of your toes are con are, are all engaged. Um, she sounds like, like a genius. Yeah no, I mean she's an amazing yeah. woman and she has incredible knowledge and
0: she's like the Kelly Kane of ballet.
1: <laughs> yeah. And also like her own like physical technique and practice was so extraordinary and virtuosic that it made it easier to kind of buy into it and believe in it and when you saw the results on the people that she worked with a lot, you were like, "Oh, this works and it makes sense." And I'm act- I'm like I'm surprised and upset that it hasn't been more pervasive in the ballet world to, like, look to her for, like, how to save dancers' joints and skeletons because she really found a method that is effective. And unfortunately, people still believe in this aesthetic and damaging kind of these weird principles that, in effect, cripple you eventually.
2: Yeah. I mean, she's I think, yeah, she you guys should definitely interview her. I'll look into it. Um, But I mean, I also, one thing that I think is interesting and important about that technique, though, is like, I think it's really great as a finishing technique or something like this, like a way to re-pattern the body once it kind of understands certain things or it can do certain things. I mean, I felt like I never got to see the young dancers that they trained, like, really from a very young age, like from the age of right. 10, which at Ballet Met in the academy, they did have some of those students. Yeah. Because um, they reoriented the way the academy operated. And I think that those young kids, though, it was hard for them because they were like, you know, they wanted to dance. And then instead they're like being taught how to use their bodies and how to right. sense and how to feel and like concepts of somatic awareness. Yeah. and. And, um, yeah, I think that it's really amazing, like at the time that like I received that knowledge and like the other cohort people I had because we already in a sense like could dance in a in a way, do you know what I mean like we had we had kind of been not fully trained but like trained to a high level, yeah, and then it was like a retraining.
1: Um, yeah, it was it was good for me to get there when I did because it I already had a certain amount of a base, even though it was like distorted by Balanchine universe, and so to have to have them show me a new way in and for me to be able to buy into it eventually was really important.
2: Yeah, and also it was interesting because like there was a certain a certain amount of resistance like with the company members because in the pre pro oh,
1: of course in the pre
2: pro division at ballet mat like we were sort of. You know, like, we would be court a ballot in Nutcracker or something. Like, there were small overlaps between what we were up to and, like, the company. Or we would have some dumb part in, like, you know, like, the random ballot. Um, So we'd be in the room together. Or some company members would take our classes, things like that. And um, it was just interesting to watch, like, I mean, I was a high school kid. Like, I don't think I really knew much. Like, I had, was training in Cunningham since I was 12 or something with Karen Elliott. And I hated Cunningham class conceptually. Or, like, I hated it. I was like, what is this weird ballet class that's, like, hard? I Like, I couldn't <laughs> take it. I was like, it wasn't until I had, like, quit dance and came back to dance, like, through contemporary practice and modern that I, like, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I love this. Um, but as a child i didn't I didn't have like the maturity or a child slash teen young teenager I didn't have the maturity to like to appreciate what was being offered to me you know
0: right. like Mariah just thinking of you in Ohio and this journey into dance it's like even though I- I did, as if listeners know that I only love the first two thirds of Luca's remake of Suspiria, but you are so, but you are so like, you're so, um, Dakota in Suspiria, where she's like, I mean, you didn't grow up in like this Amish family, but I'm picturing you like <laughs> at a big wooden table, like circling black lines around Berlin, being like, I will leave Ohio and go to Berlin, which you do. <laughs> and become, and go into like a very kind of, I would say, um, more satanic dance universe. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. It's really, it's Suspiria is kind of like your bio, your biopic in this way. Like even when you're telling me about like the flat plains of Ohio, I was picturing some of like the great dreamy imagery Luca uses in it, like horses running across a field. Right. You know, I'm from the Midwest, right?
2: I know. Aren't you from, wait, Wisconsin? Yeah. And... Yeah. Midwest, baby. Like, should we talk Mid- about the Midwest?
0: Well, the the Midwesterners who like, <laughs> who are like, I'm going to go to New York. And you know what I think is dumb? Everything. Like, it's a real, like, it's a certain kind of, um, it's a certain kind of edge that, that happens when you come from the heartland and it isn't called the heartland for nothing. We really have a lot of Feelings and love and care, as well as things like ambrosia salads. And uh, <laughs> you know, um, do you ever have an ambrosia salad? It's where you put like anything in a Jello mold and then put whipped cream on that.
2: I did not because yeah. I was like not into Jello, and I was in I ballet didn't Either, but it still had to happen. So, like, I don't think I was allowed to eat that anyway. You know, that's
0: oh really? I would think Jello would be up there because it's just hooves. Yeah, you know?
2: but I think it was, I had like, you know, eating, eating issues, let's say.
0: Same. So I wasn't same, like, an, I
2: wasn't exactly like an adventurous eater.
0: <laughs> no, mine had nothing to do with dance. It was just control. <laughs> um, Mariah, but yeah, what, we,
1: what happened? Um, what happened after your undergrad? How did you get back into dance?
2: Well, I realized like in undergrad, I got really, I'm, I'm a little bit obsessive as a character as, like, as an artist or a person. So I was, like, really sad and I missed yes. dance, like, extremely deeply. But I, like, couldn't really find my way back to it in university. So I just, like, studied art history with the same, like, kind of psycho rigor I would have, like, been dancing with. um, Which I think was great for my education. But I was, like, totally disembodied. And then... I don't know. I think like I was, then I moved to New York after Wellesley and I was a curator assistant in the contemporary art department at the Brooklyn museum of art. What year was that? And like 2002, 2003,
0: uh-huh. 2004. Uh huh. Um, cause it's right around then when I, I think I started to meet you with Liz cause Liz and I were, became friends and like in two thousand. Five through
2: and live, but I actually think no. I because I didn't meet Liv till or and live and Liv, Liz. Liz until so two thousand nine. Um, well, when I did dance web, which is like hilarious because I wasn't part. I, I didn't. Oh, it okay. was probably like two thousand nine when I met you.
1: Yeah, that's when we met you through through Liz, and I met. We must have been working on something with Liz.
0: Yeah, actually, I remember when I met you, Mariah. I met you in it in an Indian restaurant on Sixth Street. Shortly after Death is certain. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah, that's a, that was a great piece, actually. Thanks. I think it was. Remember I, I remember all it. I remember the time. that era of like performance at the new museum in the basement. Like Oh,
0: that's right. Yeah, our duet that Reed made and the You um, guys
2: were you guys were a good pair, you and Liz.
0: Me and yeah, Liz have a lot of rage really and it works well together. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, no, but so after after, well- after Wellesley, I was just like working in the visual art world and I didn't, and I would dance, but like for fun, like I went to the modern classes at Mark Morris and like, I just did dance for fun for me because I missed it emotionally. And it wasn't until I went to graduate school for a PhD program in art history, but I was kind of lost and confused and I really missed dance. So that's why I went to, the, to UCSD because it was like founded by Simone Forti and Alan Caprao and like this kind of history of practice between performance and visual art. And so I thought it would be like a good place for me to like figure out my relationship to dance. And when I was there, I started making choreographies and I was like, Oh, duh. I don't know why it took me this long to figure this out. Like, I just want to make dances. So then I started dancing again, like seriously. and like really more focusing on choreographic practice. Yeah. And then I got this crazy fellowship where I was, like, kind of nominated through where I went to undergrad, which was Wellesley College, where it was like, this traveling research grant, and I got to spend, like, a year doing embodied research for choreography. So I left my Ph.D. program, and I was in Brazil for four months, and then I was in Dakar for a month, and Joburg for a month, and Nairobi for a month, and then I was in Frankfurt for a long time, kind of like checking out the Forsyth universe and um, Whoa. Then, and I was in Belgium as well, like trying to investigate like the Brussels scene. And that wasn't from 2007 till 2008. And then I came back to New York in like late 2008. And that's probably like when I met you guys or like around that time or 2009. 2008, 2009.
0: When did you do Dance Web?
2: I don't remember, but I think it was like 2009.
0: Well, I, rem- I can remember because I remember writing a letter for Liz, <laughs> I think 2008
2: think so. It was either 2008 or 2009.
0: Yeah, I remember 2008. 2008 was when Jillian Pena was hit by that yeah, car. Yeah, that was
2: like a crazy moment. But I wasn't like hanging out in the dance world in New York until 2008, really. Or nine, even. And now it's been a decade. Or a little over.
0: And now it... <laughs> And, and it's been a decade that's been, that's been here, but that's also, I think, ha- but it's also taken you out of the country with a, a fair amount of frequency.
2: Yeah, I would say my practice is, um, yeah, yeah, I was, I, I would say I work between Europe and New York. Yep. I would like to work. I mean, in the past year I was doing this project, like this Tons Congress project which right. is and and there were these salons that were kind of funded by the Goethe Institute and they took place in there was one in New York actually kind of with the template for it like could this work as a concept and they were basically these private artist meetings sort of like think tanks or like what do artists what do dance and performance artists need to like think through and think about or what are they or like what does it mean to come together without a product or a goal um in this kind of you know format of like it was also conceived in juxtaposition to a congress which was like you know a big public meeting with lots of people and a salon is like a private small intimate affair and so there was like a salon in new york then there was one in bogota then there was one in madrid there was one in helsinki new delhi in india and then there was a salon in Ouagadougou in Burkina Faso. So, and we have a website. <laughs> you guys can check it out. Salons.tonscongress2019.de
0: And did you, and did you found this?
2: No. I mean, Meg Stewart was appointed the Artistic Director of the Tons Congress. I mean this And was Venzel, in, was Venzel involved with this? Venzel is, you know, the director of the Goods Institute in Bogota. Right. So he was into the salon concept and he wanted it to do it in Bogota. And we right. did one, in, a four day salon in Bogota. Sorry that we're just throwing um,
0: out names, they and other for those of you who are like, Venzel, Meg.
2: Well, I have to say to like all the young artists out there, <laughs> I feel like uh, one of the huge things that um, has supported me as an artist is other artists. And for instance, like when I was like really nobody and I, you know, you, New York is annoying the way like, they make you prove yourself a little bit to, like, I think, especially as like an, a choreographer, unless you're coming from the position of being like a famous dancer or something, I think they really like are suspicious of your capacity to make work. So you have to like, anyway, Jack, you curated me into the thing at Dixon Place, like when... I think nobody would have curated me into anything. (laughs) And you probably just curated me because Liz told you I was acceptable. No, I
0: actually, I remember. What was it
2: called? Body blend or something? What was that called? It was
0: called the one at Dixon place that I was the curator of for a while was called, I think it was called body blend. I mean, this is 2000, that would have been 2009. Um, yeah. And, uh, it was um the reason that i remember curating you actually was because of the discussion we had where i was like i i'm my immediate impression was oh she is entering she has a background in dance and then has gone in this other way and is now interested in dance as the as a tool but not necessarily dance just for dance's sake and that is my I mean that's my interest in these forms of art, which uh is how how can they use, be used for a tool or a weapon that also have these um other things at play and that's just because I think of that I came to it from theater with but then it, with an interest in psychoanalysis, so I think that upon our meeting i also i also was like, well, oh, she's very intense <laughs> so and um and for me to find someone intense means that yeah. that I'm really interested.
2: Am I that intense really?
0: You're intense, Mariah.
2: <laughs> okay, anyway. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Mariah,
1: you have a you have a reputation for for you have a reputation for your um
0: no nonsense
1: kind <laughs> of delivery.
0: Well, I again, I'll, it's that there is that thing of the Midwest, it's like call it like it is. And it's like, I mean, you can always rely on Mariah
1: after a performance to really tell you what she felt or ask you a question where you're like, wow, incredible. She really gets to the heart of it. Let me get us back on track a little bit by saying like, when during during this decade of like living in New York, what are some of the jobs that you've done both like money making and then creatively in terms of like how you've made your own work and gotten it presented how have you supported yourself being like a dance maker in new york
2: if you want to know my random jobs like i was a food runner at a <laughs> restaurant which i did got you get fired and, and i no no i was a server at boqueria wow. which i did get fired from i've never been fired from anything but i was fired from boqueria I still remember. It's really insulting to get fired. I totally got fired.
0: You're like, here's your food.
2: No, I was like, I just had my style of being a server, and I think it. Yeah. I my tips were always awesome. Like, but it was an alternative charm. Something. Right. Um,
1: alternative.
2: No, I just like. I don't know why. I should ask. I don't. I'm sure. I just wasn't conforming to like the fanciness of like their. I don't know what I did wrong. They didn't really tell me. They were like, you're too – I remember the manager was like, you know, it's a very different skill set to be like a good server and to be like an intellectual. And maybe you should just focus on your intellectual interests or something like that. Well, also, when I met you in
0: 2009, you were living with an older woman, I believe.
2: I lived oh, maybe not. Into, I don't remember when it was, but I had I lived at my ex, my ex boss Charlotta Kotick. She was the curator of contemporary art at the Brooklyn Museum for a long time, and she owned a brownstone in Carroll Gardens. So I rented a room from her and her brownstone for super cheap. Like I think she only charged me five or six hundred dollars a month.
0: That's I literally remember you saying I pay six hundred dollars a month because I remember being on a subway when you told me that on my breath, like going out of my body. Um, But so then you were saying, went back to his question about support, supported by artists, but also not only, sure, like meeting you and and being interested in what you had to say without having seen the work prior and giving that kind of thing, but also working with artists as well. I mean, I feel that it because of your information around dance, but then also your information around art, art history and theory, Um, a dramaturgical role also really opened up for you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I always resisted. I resist that because I feel like you can get really pigeonholed. Absolutely. And so I, like, never want to be called that, and I've never been called it. But I think, yeah, people have often called upon me for that type of work.
0: Or What did Trogel call you in the the program? Oh,
2: he called me for – Yeah, I mean, Tragil got me involved with a journal. Like, I met him in Berlin on a bench, I think. (laughs) Tragil
0: Harrell, ladies and gentlemen, another choreographer who I believe still lives in Athens. Yes. Greece.
2: And he, um, yeah, Tragil and I were like, you know, he brought me in to work on the performance journal in 2000. And I think 2009, I started working on it. Or I did the Cunningham Memorial Portfolio, and then he, then I was managing editor ever since, and then I became editor-in-chief in, I don't know, when that was, 2013? Um, and what was my point? Oh, Why I was, did he call he you called in the program? Me, because you did drama- a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He called me dramaturgical assistants because okay. for that piece he had Gerard Mayon, The famous, like this famous French dramaturg, who founded the journal Mouvement, Gerard was the official dramaturg for that piece. But I kind of, yeah, I worked intimately on that piece with Tragel, and like was in the rehearsal process. I actually didn't go to a friend of mine's wedding that I still feel bad about from graduate school, but they are divorced now. So, um, (laughs) so I could stay in the residency with Tragile at the new museum and like help him finish that work or whatever. I mean, help. I don't know what I was like, yeah, giving giving opinions and helping work on that piece. And then this is 20. This is the first one, the small, the very first solo he made for in the series, which I think, I love – I think that piece is the kind of statement of that whole body of work for me. Um, yeah. Or it's the core of what it all. Who are some of the other artists
1: and dance makers that you've worked with?
2: I I mean, I actually feel like I haven't, like, worked with that many artists. I mean, I dance for Liz. I danced for Nina Mershomara, Milka Georgievich. I worked very intimately on this duet with Sarah Beth Percival for a long t- – for, you know, we premiered it in 2012 – In Switzerland at the Theater de Luisine called Out of an Into. Um we redid it in New York in twenty fourteen in American Realness. Um I've worked I'll Never
0: Forget You in Devotion Study One. Yeah, I I did ever forget it with Sarah Mitchelson.
2: Study one, dancing for Sarah Mitchelson. That's a discussion. Um (laughs) then I was always performing in my own work. Um I don't know. Who else did I? I don't even re- you. It's like, guys, I don't remember. Oh, Boris said That was only in Dance Web, though, so it doesn't count. Um, but I wasn't in Boris Pete's in Vienna. Was Sarah Mitchelson?
0: Yes, it was only
2: the one piece. Yeah, Sarah, yeah. I just was it only the one, one piece
1: that you did with her? Or did you do
2: others? No, I just study one.
1: But I remember you also, like, being, but you were, you were, you were, near her. I remember oh yeah i was, her when she yeah, did that
2: yeah. thing at the kitchen which, yeah i, like, I, I guess i and i performed in that but i didn't know i was gonna end up performing in it <laughs> yeah, and i, I mean that i mean yeah i was like the i don't know what was my role you guys saw it i mean i was just part of it i was like the interlocutor that is like,
0: exactly what you were questions, questions that's exactly what you were
1: yeah I, You were like the person who goes into the audience and you were like, here, can I have your questions? And, you know, you were, you were the liaison.
2: Well, no, I sat. I mean, I was stationary and I was in an outfit that Sarah made me wear. Yeah. Which was my own outfit because it was like life, dance, death, the Bureau icon. Right. Because like in 2011, I made this kind of collective think tape apparatus called the Bureau for the Future of Choreography, which there's a bunch of artists who've been involved in with in that, like Will Rawls has been a part of it. Evelyn Donnelly's visual artist has always has was a part of it for a long time. Like John Hubihar has worked on it. Uh, Sarah Percival, Kylie Clevins, Stevie May, Stina Nyberg. I mean, there's a long list of people. Those are some of the people who've been more like consistently um, involved in the bureau. Um, and I'm le- leaving out names. Right. I mean, both Please from me Dance that. Congress, just...
0: which you were doing this past year, and then the Bureau, which I also remember. You, I mean, you touched briefly on um, the Movement Research Journal, which you were a huge force of for how many
2: years? I mean, I've been working on it for ten years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I really feel like you're, you're such the apex of that.
2: Well, I mean, journal. There's a whole that journal is. I think mean, I can't. I would like to promote the journal, and I think everyone should read it. I think anyone who cares about the history of experimental practice, like performance and dance in New York City, should read the journal. Like, it's kind of all there.
0: I fully I fully second it's like, that.
2: It's from 19...
1: I'm going to third it. Yeah, third it's it. like,
2: it's really important, like from 19, early 90s, like 1990 until today, twice a year... For the most part, with some inconsistency because the journal has no funding. So anyone who's like wealthy and wants to support the journal, please call Movement Research. But um,
0: it's, I mean, dance and stuff is running the same way. In yeah. 10 years, hopefully someone goes, if people are really interested in contemporary dance history, tune in to dance and stuff. Where you can totally. hear or
2: it's like full on oral history. It's like this is, a, this is a
0: long form oral history project, absolutely. After having listened to that, this a lot of those this past year, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean that's um,
0: what you guys are. So go so, on about MR.
2: Well, no, just the journal is um important. Yeah. And um And are you but are you still active on it? But no, so but I mean like many people like I mean it had a it was like run by like kind of collectives of editors for a minute or guest editors. Right. and then, like Sarah was like the first editor in chief. and then Tragel was the next one, and then I was the third one. And I'm soon stepping down. So
0: and who's replacing you?
2: It hasn't been decided yet
0: because I remember getting a text from you. I think you texted me or you might have emailed me being like, Do you want to take this on?' And I, think <laughs> I know, I just, and
2: you were like, no. no, queen, no. And
0: I think I absolutely <laughs> probably wrote, no, queen, no.
2: <laughs>
0: I was like, I, I yeah, have, I, I have a full. I
2: remember being job. like, maybe, well, because you guys are doing dance, like you're doing this, yeah. like, I mean, you, like, maybe it's something you would put potentially think about but uh, but yeah you were like hell no
0: i have a full having a full-time dancing job and then making work with that and then doing this it's i'm i'm covered in the dance yeah In the yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm covered in the spray of the dance world
2: <laughs> totally totally but i mean also i guess what would i want to say oh but i also but i'm getting tired of doing these kind of collective projects i have to say and I just want to focus on my own work, And I want and which now I, I feel I like get. has a long like uh, rigor and like evolution to it. So and I think I've done a lot yeah, of like talk a little
1: bit about what you are exploring in your own work like in the past and now in the present and what your what your work is becoming and what you're for. Oh my gosh. Read
2: like that's an intense question. But um
0: <laughs> it's a very it honestly sounds like it's if you're like we're applying for um the Herb Alpert Award. It's like it's like it's like Reed <laughs> just gave you the questions from the Herb Alpert Award. What have you done? What are you doing now? And where do you want to go? Well, no, I it's only because like
1: the la- I don't I don't know Mariah's work from long ago but the last few years of seeing her work I've really enjoyed it so much and it has such a clear kind of trajectory so I'm curious like to hear from Mariah what she hopes and wants for her work moving forward
2: well I mean I guess I can always say like I'm like I feel like choreography and dance is always like a mechanism through which I practice my feminism or feminism or feminisms um I've always I'm even though I'm like super busy with like the I'm very busy with like the line between dance and choreography and back again or dancing activity that can produce choreographic structure or how choreographic structure kills a dance or makes dance possible. Um I'm very interested in like the relational aspects of our form and I want to always emphasize again and again that like this is a relational art form that is made in collaboration. I've had, like, a kind of tortured relationship with, like, questions of authorship, trying to critique, like, the role of the dancer, as well as the role of the choreographer, always. I work with, like, systems, like, Social Dance Index, for example, like, this piece from 2015, which happened on a grid, was very much, like, a reference to kind of, like, certain traditions of postmodern American dance, like, Lucinda Child. Oh, that was the and, one that, way, was, that also, um, like, crazy was on that
0: hard floor. Issue Project, yeah, issue room. project room with Benny Oak. So good. Yes.
2: And like Lizzie Fidelson right. and Sarah Percival and Maggie Cloud and Jeremy Pfeiffer. Like that, those were the people. I just um, remember yeah. the floor. In it, it, and was it, it was like. For marble or was it. Yeah. It was marble. Yeah. It was like a it marble was, grid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, intense. And it was like. Long- it was intense and like repetitive yeah. and. I mean, it was, like, everything was based in this quadrant module of, like, front, right, left, right, or front, left, back, right.
0: And it was – and that dance, was it, it just in my mind that I called it square dance?
2: I mean, <laughs> it had a kind of, like – I mean, it was called social dance, but
0: – It was called social index. dance, so then in my mind it was, like, square it dancing. Was, right, right. It was, like, right. very dance, indexical,
2: index. Index. like – there right. it was like yeah, yeah. so i always work in systems and that uh, you kind of like each dance is another way of learning how to dance or how a body might dance right so i always like kind of every right. major project i kind of like begin with another question of like how can i make the body dance and index was like this very math- methodical like almost mathema- mathematical like way of creating a code for movement and like the first half of the dance is essentially like we just perform the index and movements in in a really kind of neutral way, almost like doing a ballet bar. And then it's like turned into like a kind of choreographed thing. I mean, it's very beautiful. It doesn't like look boring and all that, but like, if I mean, it's totally like process art and then,
0: yeah. And it feels like the sort of Apollonian structure of that would become so Dionysian in the, Next one that I saw, and maybe there was one between them that happens at, um,
2: uh, maybe it, well, then the after index, there was social dance encounter, which was at Dance Space, and it was like with no, facial choreography, or like it, right. like all these like choreographies of the face and affect, and it was kind of like again asking this question of like relation and social control or social. Like the censorship of the self and the social field or like regulation of bodies, but like through um, the kind of affective regime rather than like a regime of control right. and like certain kind of mathematical like rigor and, and abstraction of like where a body goes in time and space and how that body goes there. It was more like how like an affective opening. And then I made this piece called.
0: And then the one after then that. Then I made a piece
2: called Be My Muse, which is a solo for me. But I've only, I have perform it in Minneapolis, in Brussels, and at the Hirshhorn in Washington, D.C. I've never performed it in New York.
0: I love Minneapolis so much. I wish I would have been in Minneapolis when it happened. That's where my sister yeah, lives. Yeah, I have a sister who lives um, there, too. Wow. I love Minneapolis. Wow. And my partner has his sister lives well, there, too. we should too. have a
2: date in Minneapolis.
0: Sisters sister
1: i don't have a sister who lives there not at all no sister i don't even have
0: one and but then the one after that then
2: i did figuring with nicole with like yeah figuring which was this like after trump got elected i the first iteration happened at the dome at ps1 because i had this long residency there and then i made figuring in january 2018 and then configure in december 2018 and those pieces were kind of conceived as a diptych was that the the 2018
1: one? The 2018 when that was yeah one yeah really it went viral. That,
0: and speaking in dance. Yeah, that was the 2018 one. That wasn't the oh yeah that was the 2018 when the one that was at the dome when when Gia's speaking on dance yeah. came out and it was then, at Sculpture
2: um, Center. I, yeah, it was like ever I don't know. Snoop Dogg reposted it. Like I was an inner or it was an internet sensation or I don't know what or like a the internet was making fun of contemporary dance or it was totally sexist or it was really amazing because people were like making their own versions of they were like doing the dance in their home. Like, Oh, I'm practicing my figuring dance or they were like, I was like on talk shows. Like, (laughs) I mean, most of it was a lot of it was ridicule, but also there was like aspects of people being creative. And like, I think it was people didn't understand what we were doing But it had, like, an appeal somehow. Um, I don't know how it went viral. This I still don't understand.
1: But for all dance, that's really, like, forwarding the art form or, like, trying to, like, break down certain walls. Obviously, there's going to be mostly ridicule initially. And then hopefully, eventually, there'll be an amount of understanding as, like, we move forward into the future of movement and dance. Because... All these sort of more esoteric or challenging dance forms have been ridiculed forever when they're presented initially and then you know we get used to it as an audience.
0: Yeah, it's like So it's Martha good. Graham's I think that, Maya, that you got, being like, so much like she's attention. giving birth to a cube. You know, it's it's like how that it's the sort of like the line that similarity of like it looks like she's giving birth to a cube and people being like wow, this is what happens when your ketamine kicks in. I feel like that's the one I saw, or was something like that. It was like Nicole
2: the, Manorino, Lizzie Fidelson, and Sarah Percival. Yeah, were the dancers in that piece?
0: Yeah, right. Going, yeah, right. But they were going through like, these tasks. Clearly, that I mean, if you know how to, yeah, read, yeah. yeah.
1: Read it. No, it's great that she is like bringing these kind of forms to something so populist as like videos on Instagram and the New York Times, so that it has a broader audience because dance is, yeah in this vernacular have existed for a long time. It's just people don't see them because our audience in this universe of dance is so
2: small. Totally. I mean, yeah. we were working with like, you know, trying to move. We had five energetic modes, vibration, electrocution, displacement, rhythm, and drawing. And we were like, there were like primary, secondary, and qualitative strategies in each mode. And we were working with like moving from, it was like a, it's a speculative practice. Like we were trying to move from micro movements from inside of our bodies, like from our organs specifically, like trying to vibrate your kidney, Um, which obviously is like impossible, but it was also a way that I could prioritize (laughs) like the sensation of the individual dancer over the choreographic law or like, the kind of you can never know what someone else is experiencing inside themselves or in their bodies, but they can feel it for certain or with integrity or in conviction. And I do believe that like in some deep, like long-term process of that work, like we came to understand what different things were for, with each other. And and like we created some legible thing. But when I first made like the first months of rehearsal for that piece, I first was, like, only women or fem- feminist-identified people can look at this piece. I That's how I felt, like, and then I also was, like, can this be watched? And, I mean, eventually, like, I totally, I mean, that was, like, that was, no, that was, like, before the dome happened. Because I was, like, what if people sexualize this or what if they think this is, like, they, 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 place like a kind of patriarchal gaze onto these women's bodies. And it won't be seen as a feminist well, practice. Exactly. It's going to be seen as this like, Oh my God, what are these bodies it must always doing? Happen and in and dance. like, yeah. And so that's what I feel like so, sort of happened with the Instagram but, video. Um,
0: well, that's also the reality of dance or theater or anyone who decides to be on stage is the notion that one can resist objectification is mm. impossible. Soon as you're up there, it's so begins the critiques, so begins the categorizations. And all of that, whether it's like critiquing you or sexualizing you, does have inherent mm. violence into it. So I think it is this sort of thing of how to navigate work with it. And something that I that we didn't we have not talked about and we'll get to talk about right now in the podcast is actually what I thought about was Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen and like right. BMC work and these ideas of actually. Can I tap into and move from my right. limbic system? Like what would that mean? And how does one do that? And right. but that is, but I also have the only reason I have that language to talk through that is because I spent two years mm-hmm. with Kelly Kane. So it's who introduced me to Bonnie Beverage Cohen. And also like when I used to get acupuncture with Roseanne Spradlin, who is like a big Bonnie disciple, and is so clearly through Roseanne's work as well of like this thing of tapping into like, how do you move yeah. your fluid system? And I think what's interesting or exciting to me about, especially, and now we've talked a lot about your history and choreographic process and sort of where we are now, the body it's temporal nature, it's uh, vulnerability and how much we have forgotten about it even inside of a form such as dance that has a supposed hyper focus on the body, but um, not necessarily Mm -hmm. throughout its systems. I think there's something really interesting about interesting, but imperative about um, that work, which is body mind centering that is about somatics that is about, can I feel all the way through the system? Am I Mm -hmm. present? And, and then what, and then can the viewership of that expand the viewer's notion of their own sensitivity and being right. of themselves? I mean, I, I would hope that would be some, a takeaway. Yeah. From I mean, I yeah. also think it's and
2: important. I,
0: and, though... and, and it, oh. No, that's okay. I was just going to jump off what Jack was saying
1: about viewership in relationship to the show you did at the kitchen, which felt sort of like a follow up to that initial piece where, The way in which you set up these islands inside of the dance for the viewers was so ingenious in the way that we watched both the performers and fellow audience members. And I got so much pleasure in experiencing the way that other people viewed the performance itself. And while many people were watching it with this sort of great concern or seriousness, I found it so... Funny. I really, really loved that show at the kitchen.
2: Yeah, that's configure.
1: But the the performance we can talk about. The performance itself wasn't what? funny. It was the watching the audience was the hilarious.
2: <laughs> we can part. talk about that. I mean, I do think it's important <laughs> to say, like, though of course like BMC and all these practices are totally informing. Anyone who does like movement researchy oriented dance practice and that kind of canon of knowledge. Like I definitely want to maintain that like figuring was not at all. I think I've never studied BMC like formally and I wasn't, we weren't like moving from our, like our, any kind of system. Like we were really like moving from particular points and, um, it was a different kind of mapping of the body or relationship to like the body and the biological organs of it. Um, and I think that's just important to say because like BMC – like I didn't I – I'm not Bonnie Bainco Bain and like – Oh, no. Well, also Bainbridge I'm not Cohen. saying
0: that you studied yeah, BMC yeah, yeah. and that's where okay. this movement came from. But I think when one has a relationship or has any sort of idea about movement that isn't – I mean my training comes from Graham. So it's not even coming from ballet. So I'm talking about – just even breaking down the exo part of the whole sculptural shape of the body to tap into other rhythms and systems. I mean, work that I was doing, I know after like finding out about BMC years later, all of this like shaking and vibrating work that I was doing way before that, I wasn't thinking about BMC. I was thinking about trauma. Uh uh
2: But it's connected. because,
0: Absolutely. Because it's about that the body holds this whole thing. So whether it's Bonnie Bainbridge cohen or whether you want to go into something else like uh, traumatic re-experiencing in terms of therapy, or if you want to go into like EM... Like Death is Certain was based on EMDR. So it's like, I think just these sort of other... These qualities that... Or not qualities, these techniques that exist um, outside of and yet parallel to dance because they're about the body... I think that is the thing that I find interesting in terms of it's then because, well, just that's my own personal take is if I'm not into just an insular, any kind of insular system,
2: Mm -hmm. whether
0: it's like this is dance for the sake of dance. I'm like, that is so great if you have the time for that. (laughs) And if that's your interest and that you have enough money to just focus on that, I didn't grow up with that. Right. So my interest is in what can it give people? How can it help? And I think that's when I look at the work that – I didn't get to see the piece of the kitchen, but these other pieces, it was it was so clear. And I said this earlier of the way in which dance as a quote-unquote form is being weaponized or used alongside of clearly other systems that you are thinking about mm-hmm. and deciding to use dance as the – we could call it the language.
2: Sure, yeah. Like the mediums. The medium, the the medium of like the – Whatever the like, the pursuits or the questions, for sure, yeah. for sure, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Like I work through dance or whatever, but I examine like broader concerns and questions.
0: So now, in terms of your process, and now that you are ensconced in, in a, a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere in Ohio, where <laughs> what are your sort of
2: what am I thoughts busy with and
0: entry points right now, and what are you doing?
2: I mean. I I would just wanted to say a little bit about configure because configure kind of takes me back to like early days of like this duet that it did at Dixon Place in a sense because it took like figuring but it it went further into questions of abjection
0: and kind of like was configure the yeah. one you did at the kitchen
2: yeah yeah and okay. the question you told like about it and like kind of I was thinking a lot about Kristeva's the power of horror the powers of horror mm-hmm. and like also feminist spatial practice like in the discourse of that in terms of like like, making sure that everything was, like, dealing with materiality, performativity, alterity, um, and collectivity, and um, a kind of interior, I I think I said interiority already, but um, just, and there was, like, this kind of, like, movement towards, like, the somatic and biological experience of, like, laughing and crying as material that is connected to, like, interior space or, like, the line between self and other. Um, and also really thinking about, like, abjection as a tool to fight objectification and not abjection as a, in the sense of, like, the representation of abjection. Like, I'm not shitting or peeing on the stage or, like, but like the somatic experience of forcing the self into like this liminal zone of of existence and this boundary of like the I versus the other the like that moment of liminality um and the way the choreographic score was working in that practice was very like again i'm always working in systems so it was, like, taking all the knowledge that we kind of build up from figuring and um, taking it to, like, another territory. Um, but, okay, but so then I made this bastard's piece, which was this Cunningham trust thing. It was, like, I used the, like, language oh, yeah. of figuring and juxtaposition to, like, Cunningham. And I used only male performers, which was, That's like, the first three. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, it's Skirball. And so, I mean, there's something where I've been interested recently in thinking about, like, I've always been kind of against using, like, male bodies, or I use them as, like, a foil for, like, the female experience. So I've been thinking about that, like, how my own assumptions about gender in relationship to dance, and how I might, like, get more rigorous with that, and, like, undermine some of my own assumptions i've also always been deeply invested in like insistence and working hard almost like mm-hmm. that like they're like all my dances are like must be impossible but you still must try does that make sense or they have this like of dispositive of that kind of like Scenario, and maybe that's like about my childhood trauma, or like, you know, I'm kidding, but or I don't know, it's like some kind of condition of <laughs> no, of like, well, I mean,
0: it's also literally what ballet is it's sure. like this impossible thing that bodies aren't meant to do, and let's see how it goes, yeah. And also, I think the thing that then becomes interesting, or what I find interesting, and what it, I certainly think you explore is actually the thing that is. Compelling is about the tension of attempt versus outcome mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that is literally life. I and mean, yeah, we are in a time in this moment where it's like everyone try your best and no one is doing their best.
2: Yeah. Everyone right. is trying mm. to do
0: what they think
2: their best is,
0: but mm. everyone is failing.
2: Yeah, no. And yeah,
0: no one's, nobody is outside of that bracket. Because we are an experience that is totally unfathomable, and I think that actually then gets into the the, like talk about reality. It's death. You can't, you can't worm your way around that one, and that's the ultimate truth. And then fear, Mm. terror, abjection—all of these things that come up inside of the ultimate truth of that. Like your time here is limited, and there might be just nothing up else after it now how do you feel and it's I think people trying to do their best in that is a really great thing to explore in performance to hopefully open up some room around you won't do your best
2: mm-hmm. or you I mean, failure is like it is a constant
0: failure is your best <laughs> you know
2: Well, maybe if people accepted that, like, our capitalist system would burn faster.
0: Well, and I mean, talk about that joke, that myth. I mean, a a total, like, castle in the sky made out of, like, mist. This idea, I mean, our whole structure we're seeing right now is all a fantasy. Yeah. This Mm -hmm. whole thing was a full fantasy. And now people are like, wait, why isn't this working? And it's like, because it wasn't
2: real. Real.
0: This was all a little story you told yourself to feel better in the dark before you fell asleep. Mm. Surprise!
2: <laughs> Anyhow, so
0: I, so I, and I like that inside of the. I mean, what you're talking about, Mariah, in terms of it being hard or difficult or the attempt, I think gets into. And you and I have a shared dramaturg and in the theorist Joshua Lubin Levy, oh, yes. the... who of course is going to have this, who also has this real push about, you know, labor attempt struggle. Um, mm.
2: And honesty. I think being honest and, ho- and just honesty. like, d- like putting out the practices yeah. or the processes for what they are. Like, yep. mm, like this isn't performance. This is life. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a circumstance this is like a lived event this is an event a real event yeah and this idea that the
0: stage is some and some people really need and I fully get it I really get needing the theater to be a place that is like a fantasy zone like and I've talked about this on the podcast many times the relief I felt in watching Ratmansky's Sleeping Beauty of just like sheer gorgeous everything was so beautiful designed amazingly I loved the dancing it all looked so great it was a nice respite and it did wake me up to something I can frequently forget, which is the reality of beauty and of joy and of pleasure. I think that my bent can be a little more into the, like, what are you not looking at in the majority? So Mm. I think those are where it's like, why are you not looking at the way you treat, uh, queer people, um, and uh, people outside of what you deem to be the gender binary. Like, it's, you know, and class disparity. Yeah. But yeah. that can mean that I'm missing a whole other slew of things. That's just, like, beauty, what? joy, <laughs> and fun. I remember dating this guy who was like, someday you're going to make a show that's really beautiful. And I, you I made, have laughed You made laughed. some
2: jack already. Come on.
0: Well, I then... think I used the beauty more to be, like, to then show like the uh, uh, As Harold Pinter calls it The weasel under the tea table
2: Yeah but the last The Nyla show had a lot of beauty in it,
0: it Well the Nyla show Is all about it being really beautiful That then gets like shrunk down to a dollhouse That I'm towering over that I completely objectified And then I wipe away
1: right. <laughs> But I also you know. think like For you Jack but, like your I mean, collaborators Sort of insist on bringing A kind of
0: beauty that may, might not Otherwise be absolutely. there Absolutely I fully, fully, fully agree. Though I have some beauty in Momame, or at least humor.
2: Your solo was uh-huh. your guys' duet was beautiful. Yeah, we should have oh, a, a psychoanalysis on your guys' creative. We, I would Mariah.
0: I would love Mariah. I have a quick question. Wait, for wait. You I do want to say our though. Listeners. Right now,
2: I'm. I've, right. yeah, I've been thinking about oh, yes.
0: resignation. Yeah.
2: Like yeah. in whatever Wait, I do about, next, about what I think like,
0: resignation?
2: Yeah, which is quite counter Resig- to how I usually
0: read. Can't comprehend it, Mariah. So I want you to repeat it again for read and explain it because it's the opposite of Reed's <gasps> modality.
2: Uh huh. Just I've been th- I don't know what I'm gonna do with it yet, but I've been thinking a lot about resignation. Like, just sort what of is giving it means over the to res- the end? Like, of it all? what is refusal? what is um rather than trying hard like what about giving up as a mechanism to open up other type of possibilities um yeah like what does it mean to resign like what does it mean to resign with the body um what is a state of resignation resignation in a body like if we agree mm. that like the systems of of agreement on the social political level that we're choreographed through and by and scripted our bodies. Like if we agree that they're no, that they're not working, that the system is really like defunct, are we at a situation of system failure? Like, what are our tools for agency? How does resignation or refusal operate as like a tool for agency And open up possibilities of, like, a renewed attempt or something like this. Um, My favorite writer uh, on
0: that is Elena Ferrante in her book, Franti Maglia, which is her correspondence with her publisher and some different interviews. And she talks about the agency of no. Right. And, Mm. And of saying no and of resigning and of... I mean, ultimately, so much of her work it is about disappearance of some kind and i think i don't know mariah you and i could go into like a deep like theory dive on that like that reminds me of like ghostly matters or
2: i love um, ghostly matters everybody should read that book everybody Avery gordon read that book. is brilliant or, sociologist please read Ghostly Matters, please read it. It's beautifully written. Hey, really beautiful. I'm gonna. will read Ghostly great. Matters. Also, I also, I will always promote this book, The Body in Pain, Elaine Scarry.
0: Yes, and I will also always promote Dead Time.
2: What's that?
0: Which is temporal disorders. Um. Ooh. In, and Dead Time is. Uh, hang on, I want to make sure I say her name right. Wow, Jeremy, please edit out how long it's taking me to say this. Um, it's literally been I mean, like three seconds. I think we're good. It's it's Alyssa Martyr. Or okay. maybe it's, I think that's how you say her name. It's "Dead Time." It's temporal disorders in the wake of modernity, and she's mainly looking at Baudelaire and Flaubert. Okay. But it's this idea of um, what's going, what happens for us in uh in in this modern world, especially around things that we've forgotten that can maybe be arrived at. Um, you know, through ways of, of calling back on our, on things that perhaps aren't intellectual. And I think that has a real call inside of it to dance.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. like the shock experience, right?
0: Absolutely. And inside of that, then is mm-hmm. that amnesis that I'm experiencing. Like, am I, am I calling back, you know, but that also I feel gets into this thing of like, are you hypervigilant because you have PTSD or are you a psychic? And maybe it's both.
2: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> you know, it's really, I feel like when it gets to like, I think there's, there should be like a new definition for anamnesis, which is about when you have like that recall of something you haven't learned. And It's like, well, it might be hypervigilance, girl. <laughs> or maybe you're a psychic, who knows? Um, so you're looking, <sighs> I think looking at resignation right now makes so much sense.
2: So, but I mean, I'm not, yeah. So, but I don't know what I'm doing with any of it, but that's like, that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now.
0: So then my question for, that I also want to posit for our listeners out there is do you have accessible and are you making it? So I just decided to make all of my works viewable online where I was like, I'm just going to have it all be available if people want, uh, in, terms of seeing what it is that I've been working on since you know, the first work that had like any actual film quality good enough. is 2009. Um, so do you, are you going to do that? Like, or would you make that available so people could see this work out? I mean, I understand the translation to video. I feel the translation from my work to video is really hard, but something as in this time where we're going to be living on screens, I think for a considerable amount of time
2: yeah I mean I've always been against like I don't let my work like be online and then I feel like the Uh viral video moment made me be like yeah and that's right or
0: something
2: Uh (laughs) um so I'm like you can't like google me I think you can find like Judson or, or like things that you can't control that are online but like you can't like see my work online um, unless I send you private links at your request and my like begrudged agreement. (laughs) Um, I'm getting, I think I have to rethink that right now. Um,
0: My only reason for asking is because I think at now in this time when we are all living in this format, which is mainly screen format, I'm actually curious about, viewership, perhaps being able to hold on or take in more of the nuances, hyperbole, uh, states of psychosis that can happen in live performance, that viewing now in this format might actually help people in this format. Because in, in this new full screen time land that we are living in for and could be the majority of our lives for 18 months to two years. It's a thing of that. I'm really curious of where can performance in this moment offer itself up and see. And at least for me, Murat, I would love, I personally would love to have access to your works. It's like, I, you know, and remember Roseanne's, um, the beginning of something. I think that's what it's called. Begin she did a chocolate factory a minute Nyla. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yes.
0: That piece is i having seen that piece live, I would say that piece has a lot in it that's like, wow, what's going on? How it to think to video. Like I love it's I love that piece. It was so cathartic for me and and I hope other people, but I had deep catharsis with it. And I watched it on video and I'm so glad it's there. Like it Wait, skills. as video? Yeah, she has it on Vimeo, the whole thing. And I am so glad it's there. It's, it's medicine. These, it's, these practices, especially for people who are using a, a very embodied form of how they want to use choreography, I think can be so informative and helpful. And if people want to deride it, make fun of it, whatever, I think that is typical for something being new. Mm-hmm. And that is also something I think can be very sensitive and is always that handshake between queer people and women, which is uh, not being taken seriously. Yeah. And the trigger in that. Yeah, it's, it's painful. It hurts. I mean, Justin Bond said to me years ago when I had gotten another really nasty review, um, she was like, you got a very femme-phobic, homophobic review. But, uh, you know, if they won't take us seriously, why should we? And I followed up with, because of course we want to be taken seriously. Like, it's, it's both. And so, I don't know. I just want to throw it out there, Mirai, because I would love your work to be online, personally. And I also think that, yes, I understand the viral moment. I mean, having been in a commercial that people will, like, write me from and be, like, uh, all from... Having been in that format where I've been like either made fun of, preyed on, um had like sexual things written to me, violent thing I mean it's like and that's just like a touch of it. It's sort of like okay, well, there's also all these other emails and and responses that are like I'm so happy I was able to have this mm-hmm. and so I'm I feel there's a kind of call for us in the, you know, front guard to, um, put some of that out there.
2: Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I also, I mean, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist duh, or like control freak problems. So like, it's hard for me to like, let things just live in the world. And then though it's more generous to be that, to do that. I just like, I get upset about the video edit and I'm like, The video edit isn't good enough. I can't let anyone see this. and I couldn't ever afford good documentation. Yeah, no, I mean, I learned so much. Like, early days when I decided I was going to, like, be a choreographer, I used to just go and spend my Saturdays at New York Performing Arts Library, and I just watched – I did, like – I gave myself, like, a whole tutorial on, like, the whole history of everything – And I watched like everything I could. Do you have any um, viewing
1: suggestions or activity suggestions for our listeners during quarantine times?
2: Well, honestly, like, you know, I do think that this, um, well, one, everyone should read the performance journal, (laughs) especially the last issue, PJ5253, which is a double issue called Sovereign Movements, Native Dance and Performance. Um, there was guest edited with Rosie Simas and ahimsa Timoteo Bodron. um Our next issue will be released in a few months and then also um I know you guys want fun stuff, sorry, but I have to but um, but I'm adored well. Uh- I also- I'm a dork and then also I really think people should read the Tons Congress website because you get to hear from artists from all sort, all over the world literally like dance practitioners Yeah, and I think that's pretty interesting to like put these cities in juxtaposition to each other mm. like what are artists mm. in Delhi thinking and what versus artists in Helsinki versus artists in Ouagadougou like it's pretty fascinating the differences for Madrid versus New York like this type of questions and, and it's also, like, this kind of constant practice of how do we decolonize our knowledge systems. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, this, like, the system of how a canon is made or whatever and yeah. collectivize more of this rather than, like, always go through, like, the reward system of culture. So those are things I would read because I'm a dork. But um, I was – I decided to go on, like, a binge of, like, film art directors and i subscribed to the criterion channel recently so i'm busy currently with jane um campion or champion
0: yes the Um, the master of the dutch angle
2: yeah and i was reading yeah so she's one that i would recommend absolutely and also i was watching this kind of bad netflix series but in it i was i'm quite addicted to it good girls (laughs) about like right the moms in Detroit who become like right. My criminals. Um, yeah. and it's, a, it's a real high low. Yeah, I mean, those are some of the. And I'm reading The Thinking Body right now again by Mabel Todd. And um, I'm actually, I have to write an article about Steve Paxton. Oh, wow. And that is hard. (laughs) But uh, I've also been thinking a lot about him. And I also was thinking a lot about, even though he's like crazy acclaimed, I think he's a really fascinating character because he made, he like, Mm. you know, did this ingenious thing, like the invention of contact improvisation or the expansion of what like movement could be or what dance could be. And he made it open source rather than like copyrighted it or turned it into like a technique and i kind of think that like dance really it it like i love the Ailey quote like dance comes from the people it needs to go back to the people and like this thing of like the open source aspects of performance practice and dance and how can we as a field like do more and more in that. And maybe this moment of like all of us being cooped up in our apartments or houses or wherever we are. And the, like, I also am loving the Cunningham classes and just like that, this kind of live sharing and this feed of like movement and its power and how it gives people life, like in a really simple way. Like it, it's, I mean, it's super complex and there's so many layers to it. And of course, when you put it on stage or you make it into art, it's like a whole other game and you have to operate in relationships to, to the institution with critique and all these things. But like, what does it mean to practice movement activity? And isn't that like a wonderful and generative thing?
0: Do you remember his like very small article called Small Dance? Yeah. So good.
2: He's... I mean, he's yeah. Steve, he's
0: it was in um. It's in a like a at that point it wasn't. It was called Dance Journal. I
2: think. Contact quarterly or no?
0: It was Contact Quarterly. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Contact it was,
2: Quarterly. It's where
0: you can get really good knee pads. Eighteen dollars.
2: Oh yeah, and they're doing like yeah, well, a this, sale on them.
0: This was a, this was in this is in Judson time, and he has this article about small dance. So small, you might not even be able to perceive that. Yeah. Very <laughs> really good. So good. I remember that <sighs> in the research moment. Um, well, and also like back to of the people, Mariah, you know, I'm just gonna keep being like I want you to put it on. Oh I know, I know. I I, know. I,
2: it. I, I it, we've come full circle on that, I get you. Well, and this
0: is I also have to say as someone who like grew up in the Midwest who was not exposed to uh contemporary or fine art, but grew up with movies and like Shelley Long's fairy tale, Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater, Dynasty, The Grifters, Dangerous Liaisons—like those were the things I grew up watching before having access to even like theater or dance. I think there is something like how do we get to these people who don't have access to that? And I think that is, I think this thing of well, it's there. It it can, it can come through into your home and. Yes, just like any performance, some people will hate it and deride it, and some people will save their lives. There you go. And there you have it. And the people who, the only people who matter are the people whose lives it saves. So,
1: Or Mariah, you don't have to do any of that. You can keep it private. You don't need a website. Just keep doing your work. It's all going to be okay. You can also make suggestions on I your Instagram. We'll we'll it. make sure to link y- your Instagram on our Instagram so people can look what you're doing,
0: too. Yes. Yes. All right. Yeah. Well, Mariah, I need to wrap up because I have to um, make some phone calls to try and get things. And I'm also still teaching. I'm on spring break, but I've offered for my students to be in touch with me over the entire spring break. So I need to go some of that and um i love seeing you i know
2: it's really nice and to see I, you guys that was fun i
0: loved this chat
2: it was a good chat it was fun yes. it was
1: quite a talk it was food for thought food for thought yeah
0: yes, yes. and um I, I oh i have one more book recommendation which is oh bad environmentalism by nicole seymour okay that's what i'm reading right now in prep for my that's one of the books i'm reading right now in prep for the next show that i'm doing um cool all right mariah okay. i love you love you guys and lady and another we loves you we loves you and we'll keep
1: see- we'll keep seeing you and hearing you and talking to you through this whole home time
2: okay kisses, kisses. Bye. bye guys bye. ciao